I remember Cameron in the early days, he goes, I don't think in vision. I can't envision anything. And I said, no, that's garbage. Of course you can. And I remember talking to Cameron about if you could go anywhere in the world on a vacation, what would it look like? What cold drink is in your hand? Who are you with? Describe the weather, the sounds that, you know, he did it all. And I'm like, there you go. You can envision. So sometimes people just need a process or a template. And I'm happy to share that with your audience. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate podcast. Our quote for today is from Thomas Edison, and it is, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Our guest today, Brian Scudamore, is an inspiring entrepreneur who's made embracing failure a core part of his success. He started his business 1-800-GOT-JUNK at the age of 18 and has grown into a massively successful company. He's the author of WTF, Willing to Fail, and has appeared on Uncover Boss Canada, Dr. Oz, CNN, The Today Show, and The View. And he's also a contributing columnist to several national publications. Brian, welcome. Excited to have you join us on the Elevate podcast today. Excited to be here. Thanks, Bob, for having me. And always great to uh, chat with an old friend. Yeah. And and, hey, in full disclosure, because we talk about willing to fail, we we recorded this podcast uh, earlier and it was a fail. (laughs) So I appreciate you uh, coming back and giving us a, a second chance on that. We'll make it better this time. Well, the way you owned up to the the problem and these technical things happened, I was, you know, I, I said, no problem. Happy to to do it again and we'll recreate some magic. All right. So let, let's start at the beginning. High school wasn't exactly your uh, forte. Can you tell me a little bit about your high school years? Yeah. So I, I've always been someone that loves to learn. I just don't fit well in a box. I don't fit well learning in a scheduled sort of formulaic type way where you've got to learn math, you've got to learn science, you've got to learn English. I get that all those things are important, but I just didn't fit the mold in both elementary school and high school. So as a kid, and this is one of the only things I've ever kept that I've collected from my past are report cards. And they always said things like, I mean, there was this pattern. I've looked back at them years later and they say things like, Brian's such a disruptor. And they didn't mean it in a cool term like they refer to yeah. entrepreneurs today. I was a disruptive kid that just couldn't sit still and focus. So there I was one course short of graduating from high school. It was algebra 12. It was in my final year and I just really didn't like my teacher. So I stopped going to school or I stopped going to that class. And what that did for me, the consequence was I was one of my only friends, or actually I was the only person in my friend group that did not graduate from high school. Every one of my friends was going to college, so that meant I had to find a way to talk my way into college as someone without a diploma, which I did. I'm an entrepreneur and I know how to sell. So I sold myself, talked my way in, and then I had to find a way to pay for it, which led me to a McDonald's drive through serendipitously. There I am. There's a beat up old pickup truck in front of me, plywood side panels built up on the box. It said Mark's hauling on the side. I looked at the truck, bought myself a pickup, built my own plywood sides, and a week later had a business called The Rubbish Boys. And know, most people wouldn't look at that truck and say, that is the dream. But clearly for you, that, that inspired something in you. Yeah, I don't think it was the dream at the time, but it certainly was a ticket. It was a ticket to pay for college. It was 
we talk about vision. You and I are big fans of creating uh, a vision, a painted picture of what the future would look like. And for me, this was just a vision to pay for college. It was a vision to join my friends and not be left out. But ironically, three years into my education, I found I was learning much more about business by running a business more than studying in school. And I made the, the bold decision, I call it a bold decision because I had to face my father who's a liver transplant surgeon and say, dad, guess what? I got some good news for you. That's really how I presented it. I said, have a seat, got some good news, I'm quitting college. I'm learning more about business by running a business more than studying in school. And my dad failed to see how that was good news, I get it. 10, 15 years later, he came around, but it was one of those things where I knew that university would always be there should I choose to go back. My business opportunity could have expired and I had to strike while the iron was hot. Well, you said good news, but it doesn't sound like, I thought the good news was going to be like, hey, you're off the hook for paying for college. What was the good news part of that for him? Well, the good news was me just being proud as his son saying, hey, I'm, I'm learning so much more by running a business. I don't need to go to school. And, you know, frankly, the, the good news was a bit of salesmanship positioning to him so that if I presented it as good news, he might not get as upset with me. It's always that conversation when you say, hey, have a seat. I, I got to talk to you about something serious. I wanted to do something differently and presented it like good news because deep down in the end, it actually was very good news. All right. So you have, you have your truck, you're launching your business. What are the, what does the beginning look like? The beginning was a little more fun than a job. I was my own boss. I got to be in charge and dictate how my day went. Now, of course, on many days that meant, oh no, what do I do? I don't have business. But what those early days were like was just a lot of sweat equity going into a business. It paid for itself within a couple of weeks because my expenses were a $700 pickup truck, some uniforms, some tools, shovels, that kind of thing. The cost to get in was fairly inexpensive. I mean, you, you get what you pay for when you buy a $700 pickup <laughs> truck. Okay. But it really got me out there starting learning very quickly. And my, my MBA on the streets, so to speak, showed me that, you know, wow, I can create my own destiny. I can work through the challenges and learn from all the mistakes I made. You know, my book is WTF, Willing to Fail. It's 30 years of all the mistakes I've made which all translate into being gifts. Every single mistake I've ever made and ever will make is a gift. Things happen in life, but your perspective, how you look at it, when they say, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear, that's what failure is. And I've looked at each and every one of those. So one of the biggest failures I had in the early days, I'm half a million in sales, five trucks, out there building a business and having success, quite profitable, Bought my first home in Vancouver, which is an expensive city, so that uh, you know tells you the profitability was there. However, I had 11 employees. The old expression, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. I had probably nine of the 11 were bad apples, and I came up with a, a choice. I wasn't having fun. I didn't have the happy, friendly, positive individuals that I saw in the vision for my business. So I sat them all down one morning meeting and started with two words. I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've let you down, haven't found the right people, haven't treated you with the love and support that you should have received to be successful. And we're going to part ways. And I parted ways that day, which meant five trucks down to just one that I can drive on my own, did the booking, the dispatch. It was a painful time, but it taught me the most valuable lesson. The gift was, 
the realization that a company is only as strong as the people you bring on board. It's all about people finding the right people and treating them right. And anyone that ever comes to Vancouver and comes to the junction or head office would see a big sign in the, the foyer of the, the space that says, it's all about people with my name below it. And that's a commitment that we have that every single person that we touch in any way with our business, we want them to feel like we've made their lives better. We want them to feel like they were a part of building something bigger and better together. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about the mistakes are a gift, there's probably a formula there, right? Mistakes plus time equals gift <laughs> or something like that for most people, right? Because you see later on where that mistake was a key learning point for you. Yeah. You're, you know, to take a simple analogy, you're on a surfboard and you're hit with a big wave and you fall flat on your back. You don't get the learning right away. You're first reflecting on the pain and, and how it hurts. So in business, you definitely need time, just like in real life, to sit there and say, okay, wow, that just hurt. So when I fired my entire staff, I don't think I saw any learning for several months because all I could do was be focused on rebuilding. And I hadn't yet learned the power of actually reflecting on mistakes, reflecting on bad things that happen. When I look at things like PR, we would get some big media hits. I know you mentioned some of them. One of my favorite is being on the Oprah Winfrey show. We failed many times trying to get on the Oprah Winfrey show, but each phone call, each email, each rejection, we would learn from that to figure out how do we succeed someday. And again, failure, it's hard to, it's hard to accept that it actually is a gift, but I just don't think that anyone ever experiences victory without pain along the way. If they did, it would be a hollow victory. It would feel unearned. But instead, imagine having riveting stories of moments of despair and regret and longing <laughs> to succeed. I mean, that's what makes business and personal growth so much fun. Well, you know, you also talk to you about people and there's a, there's a concept that you've really, I think, mastered or, or really just show how it should be done. And that is treating people really well, but also telling people the truth and being honest about what the business needs. I, I think most leaders have a really hard time compartmentalizing these things. And look, you've grown exponentially from the beginning to the end. And I'm sure you've heard, I've heard people share this formula with me. And I think it's true that every time you double the business, you break half the people and half the processes. Mm -hmm. I know in the book, you talked about having to move on from key people in the business life cycle, including your good friend, Cam Harold. Mm -hmm. A lot of leaders struggle with this, separating the friendship and the business need. Can you talk about both that experience and this concept in general of how treating people well, but also dealing with the truth and what the business really needs? Well, I think if you're real with people, with life, you know, what's the golden rule? You know, treat people as you'd like to be treated. I've always looked at that. I remember hearing about that from my parents as a young kid, and I try and empower my kids with that same golden rule. But everything's about how you treat people. If they are no longer the right person, i.e. Cameron Harold, we grew from 2 million to 106 million together. He was still the right person to be a friend. Now we went through some hard times because when you've got to fire your best friend, of course, they're going to take it personally. But there was a lot of love there and you just, you work through those things. But it's how you treat people that becomes most important. And I think, as you said, most leaders, or not all leaders, they don't follow that simple rule. 
I think you and I, uh, we've certainly spent time together at GOT, Gathering of Titans, and MIT, MMT. And I think that you and I are, are cut from similar cloth in the, the sense that what motivates us is people. It's growth. It's helping others. If I look at our businesses, we named our parent company O2E Brands. That's ordinary to exceptional. We're taking ordinary people and helping them into exceptional opportunities as a franchise owner or exceptional opportunities for growth in our head office, The Junction. But because I understand what motivates me and it's not money, it's helping people, I think every decision we make, both good or, or challenging, we try and do the right things the right way. The right decision I've learned, and I talked about this in the book, is that it's rarely the easy decision. But if you do it in the right way, again, there's a gift in that. And there's something that comes around one day that you just go, wow, that, that decision was a hard one, but it made me or it made that person of the business better than they were at that point in time. Yeah, it's because you care about a person that you probably feel the need to tell them that they are not in the right job or they are not doing something where they're going to be successful. And that hiding that from them is not really the truth or is not helping them, right? Yeah, I think transparency is is the right way. I know that you are on a big uh, sort of campaign or it's building even its own virality is is the whole concept of the two weeks notice. Yeah. I mean, if you treat people in a transparent way and help them and be honest and upfront, just makes such a difference in business decisions and, and where things go. And, you know, back to the concept too of I'm not motivated by money. I think most entrepreneurs are. However, when you focus on the people and you focus on taking care of your customers, the money comes. I mean, it comes in such large amounts sometimes that you don't even know what to do with the money. But it comes by not focusing on the money. It comes by focusing on the people. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Harvard Business Review provides information, tools, and practical advice on leadership, management, and strategy through the hbr.org website, their print publication, and their podcast. hbr.org is your go-to for leadership and business management articles. A recent favorite is stop eliminating perfectly good candidates by asking them the wrong questions. Then there are other world-famous case studies, which premium subscribers can access as well. HBR produces a number of leading podcasts from HBR on leadership to my favorite, the HBR IdeaCast podcast. A subscription to HBR also includes access to videos, the big idea, HBR magazine, and a wide variety of newsletters. While much of the Harvard Business Review content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. 
Go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. So how do you react to the comment, it's just business, when people say that? Never been a fan of that comment because it's not just business. It's actually just people. Every business that exists on this planet is about people. I don't care how much AI process you have. I don't care how much technology you're using and and how often uh, or infrequently you're interacting with people. It's a people business. And so our philosophy is take care of our people. They'll take care of our customers by taking care of the customers, then they'll take care of our growth in both profits and brand. And so the people we put first, the most important priority in our business is people. And so when someone says it's just business, that sounds ruthless and cutthroat. That sounds like it's about the numbers, the bottom line. Don't take it personally. Well, how can you not take things personally if you're a person? And so everything we do is about figuring out what's right for the person what's right for our people, not just the bottom line. And so sometimes we've had situations where you make a decision that on paper makes no financial sense in the short term, but in the long term, the loyalty you have, the way you've treated someone has them coming back in a way that's made more business sense than you could ever imagine. And if you think back to that, you know, just to help people understand this, who who struggle because they still come from that mindset of, hey, I have to make a business decision Back to those 11 employees in that day, how did you frame that in terms of your own mind, in terms of say, well, so if you got rid of your entire staff, how how is that about the people? So help people understand how how you sort of look at that in that framework. Well, so I don't think at 25 years old, 24 years old, when I made that decision, that I had really learned exactly how to treat people. But at that time, I still had a heart and I still said, I'm sorry. I approached it with a level of compassion to say, I know this is probably some difficult news for you, but I don't know what other path I have in moving forward. And so I treated them with respect. I think that you can, in a lot of those situations, have labor boards and and lawsuits and things coming down your neck because you didn't deal with things properly. You know, one thing we do is everyone that gets let go from the business when these you know things happen, not just someone quitting, but someone being told that they're no longer an employee at O2E Brands, I reach out to those people and I call them to check in to see if they're okay because I care about them as a human being. I'm still appreciative of, of everything they've done, even if it didn't work out for the long term. And I think that when you put people first, it just makes things easier. It leaves people with a better taste in their mouth of O2E Brands or any of the brands that they might have worked for if the CEO or other people in the company reach out and show they care about that person as an individual. And while it's not the road most traveled, I believe one day it will be because people will understand that it's the, the right way to do business. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned this before, but I think because of lawyers and laws and labor laws, people are doing a lot of things that they're told that will protect them from these things, but aren't actually 
transparent or, or honest with people. And so I, you know, I talk a lot about performance improvement plans and people saying, oh, well, you know, we want to get rid of Johnny, but we got to put him on a performance improvement plan because we need to document all the problems so then we can deal with it. And that's, that's the legal advice. But you know, what it takes out is the respect. And, and what we've seen over the years is that if you are respectful to people, you will have far fewer issues than if, and legal issues than if you follow some of this strictly impersonal legal advice. And there was a, there was a study, I think, I, I think it was in the book Freakonomics. I could be wrong though, that said where insurance companies listen to discussions with patients and doctors and they could predict who was going to get sued by the, the tenor of those conversations. And it was totally detached from the error rate of those, of those physicians. So curious as to your, your thoughts on that, because you mentioned the word respect. And I, I just, I think people miss this. I think, yeah, in the name of not getting sued, they, they do stuff that's more likely to maybe get them sued. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. I think that you can have both. I think you can have documentation and I think documentation can be can serve a great purpose of clear expectations with your person that you're putting on a performance improvement plan, but you can do it in a respectful way. Often what people will do is they'll send out the performance improvement plan in, in language that just doesn't feel nice, that feels too legal versus having a heart and sitting down with the person and say, okay, so we're going to have a difficult conversation here, but I'd like to run you through what's going on and I'm here to help you. You can approach these things with documentation and with a heart at the same time. And I think all in the end, what somebody's looking for as a human being is a level of respect. I mean, what a way to avoid lawsuits by just treating people well. A lawsuit, I think, in my experience, usually stems from someone being angry because they were mistreated, something wasn't fair, they got the bad end of a deal. Do the right thing. Be transparent. Talk about it. You know, I remember there was this negotiating uh, professor a professor that taught negotiation at Stanford. I took an executive program there years ago. And I remember this person said, okay, you've got a group of people that are all A's, a group that are B's. You divide off into, uh, you pick an, an A picks a B and you start negotiating. And you each have these cards and it's a secret. You can't tell the person across the table if you're an A, what you're looking for from the B. So the A's had to get from a case of a dozen eggs, had to get seven egg whites, the bees had to get seven egg yolks. Well, guess what? What happened in 95% of the situation was that the egg white team said, I want seven egg whites and I'm not going to settle for any less and I'm prepared to walk away. And the same thing happened when the yolks were negotiating. But what was interesting is both sides can have what they're looking for if they were transparent and laid their cards down on the table. Imagine if someone said, I need seven egg, egg whites. And the guy with the egg yolks go, oh, I need seven egg yolks. How about this? You have 12 egg whites and I'll have 12 egg yolks. How awesome would that be? So I think transparency is a much better way to not just negotiate, but even to communicate. Yeah. And I, I was in a, a group um, earlier this week of really fascinating kind of cultural leaders who are imagining the next 10 years of work. And I know there's people like you and I who just believe in transparency, but there's an interesting thing in that the world is going open. <laughs> and I, I think people who are operating in a closed... So one of the things they said is that there's sort of a new, like a dark web version of Glassdoor where in these large companies, people post everything, you know, about managers and the company and all, all, all this stuff. And it also seems to me that this is just a 
not being transparent is going against the trend of, of just open companies and everything being more open eventually, whether you want it to be or not. Yeah, I've always had a belief that if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it, right? That also came from my, my parents, and I'm yeah. sure most parents say something similar. But the way I look at that in today's world, don't send a text to somebody with something nasty to say about someone else when you know that, A, it's not the right thing to do, but B, someone <laughs> takes a screenshot and that gets back to you. I mean, you're, you're screwed. So in this world where everything is documented, whether we want it or not, just avoid being the mean guy. Just be nice, right? Again, back to the golden rule. I mean, it, it's so simple, yet how powerful if everybody just treated everyone, regardless of whatever diverse background they come from, with love and respect, imagine the kind of place we'd live in. It would be a nice one. We talked about your book earlier, uh, WTF. You've been doing this a while. What prompted you to write the book after so many years? So Roy H. Williams, I affectionately, uh, we know him as the wizard of ads. Yes. He writes all our radio creative for 1-800-GOT-JUNK and does a lot of great branding work for our, our other brands under the O2E brands umbrella. And we were at his his compound in Austin, Texas, his ranch. And he said, year after year, Brian, you got to write a book. And a couple of years ago, I sat down, I go, Roy, I just don't want to write a book. Like I, my ego doesn't need it. I am not uh, a great reader, let alone find the time to write, even though I like to write. But he just said, listen, this isn't about you. This is about the people that you can impact through stories, the stories you and your teams and franchise owners have created over the years. It's important stuff that you share with others. So he convinced me and he said, I'll make it easy. We'll hang out for a day in the wizard's tower and drink some red wine and, and tell stories. And he mic'd me up and recorded story after story after story. And it was great because we ended up with a 135-page transcript after that day, which became the basis for the book. He went off and created a structure, and then we went back and forth for a good half a year or so. And I, I realized after the testimonials I was getting from the book, from you know the youngest one I've had is nine years old, the oldest uh, testimonials from an 89-year-old. And this wasn't just a business book. This was some life lessons and seeing failure as a gift and just some inspiration from stuff we've done that we thought we've either learned from others or created ourselves that was worth sharing. And The Wizard, I'm, I'm grateful because he got me sold on it. And I've realized it has actually made an impact. So glad I put the time in and, and made it happen. I didn't realize it was all uh, initially recorded in one day. That's fascinating. That must have been a lot of red wine. It was a lot of red wine. It was a lot of talking and, you know, the fact that there were so many stories recorded, what Roy did so well and has a gift for was just question after question after question, drilling into my childhood. You know, I felt like I was sitting at a psychiatrist's office on the couch for a while there, but he was able to pull out the stories and then help to lay out a timeline of, of how some of these lessons fit together. And that became the basis for what he and I wrote together as uh, the WTF Willing to Fail book. And, and one of the big sections, I know we, we alluded to this before in the book, is around this concept of the painted picture or vivid vision. Can you explain a little bit um, to everyone sort of what that is and what your first one looked like at the company? Yeah, so to me, 
a lot of the mistakes we make, a lot of the challenging moments, of course, lead to to greatness or lead to you know beautiful things that can happen. And so for me, I had joined EO, the entrepreneur organization, in 1996. I was surrounded at that point by other entrepreneurs who had bigger, better, more glamorous businesses than my little junk removal company doing a million in revenue. And I kept comparing myself to others. And it was a, a big mistake because I found myself feeling down about myself and, and not feeling the hope towards building my company. So I went to, my parents had a little uh, summer cottage and I went out on the, on the water, on the ocean and one summer sunny day and pulled out a sheet of paper and said, okay, Brian, enough doom loop, take out the sheet of paper and start to envision in my mind and put it into words what that future could look like if I didn't think about the fact that I didn't finish high school, didn't finish college, didn't have the, the money and so on. And I came up with this one page double-sided document that started with, we will be in the top 30 metros in North America by December 31st, 2003. And all the language was very definitive in this is where we were going, not where we hoped to be or wanted to be, but where we were going. I said we'd be on the Oprah Winfrey show. I said we'd be the FedEx of junk removal. All these things ended up being what I ended up calling the painted picture. And it was a process that I shared with people that I said, listen, this is the most impactful thing looking back that I've ever done in my business. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. I created this document that became a manifesto that I was able to share with people around me and it did one of two things. It had people saying, Brian, you're, you're smoking some hope dope here and this is never going to happen. Or more importantly, the group that said, wow, I want to stick around. I want to be a part of this. This is exciting. And so I recruited people like Cameron Harold who came in. And, you know, Cameron's uh, version of the painted picture is, is the vivid vision because he too saw the power of what we would envision and then make happen. And it's phenomenal what that can do. In fact, if, if any of your listeners want a copy of our painted picture, just send me a, a DM on, on Instagram at Brian Scudamore and say painted picture. And I'll send you off not only our painted picture, but also an article I wrote step by step, how to create one. It's an easy thing that most people don't get. I remember Cameron in the early days, he goes, I don't think envision, I can't envision anything. And I said, no, that's garbage. Of course you can. And I remember talking to Cameron about if you could go anywhere in the world on a vacation, what would it look like? What cold drink is in your hand? Who are you with? Describe the weather, the sounds that, you know, he did it all. And I'm like, there you go. You can envision. So sometimes people just need a process or a template. And I'm happy to share that with your audience. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a hold of that. And if you want, we can put it in the show notes too, if you want to connect to people. Perfect. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period 
at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So what is the biggest challenge people face in building a vivid vision or a painted picture? So they buy their notebook, they go to their place, like where, where are they going to struggle? Where can you help them? And they're going to be cursing you and you can help them through that first part. Yeah, if there was one thing, if I was to focus it and say, what's the most impactful thing? I'd say, get somebody who you're close with who can ask you really penetrating questions. Someone that you know that is just curious and and good at asking questions. And imagine Cameron and I sitting together again. And Cameron says, I can't think about vision. And I say, well, if you could go anywhere in the world right now, money wasn't an object, where would you go? He comes up with an answer. What does that look like? Tell me what you're hearing in the air. What's the smell? What does it feel like? Who's beside you? Is it more than one person? Is it a bunch of people? What do their faces look like? Are they smiling? Are they happy? Are they cheering? And you get people, by asking questions, you pull out what this could look like. Now, somehow I found that if someone's asking you the questions and they keep on digging deep, it's easier than someone just who hasn't done this for the first time trying to think on their own. What does my future look like? You need people to be curious and draw it from, it's already inside you. Just get it clearly out, put it in writing. And once you've got it, you share it with people, pure magic. Everybody I know that's taken the time to create a painted picture, pure magic. It doesn't tell you how you're going to get to where you're going, but what it does for the leader, for you, for me, for a Cameron Herald, is says everyone who joins my movement, so for us, O2E Brands, building these exceptional businesses together and creating a platform where entrepreneurs come in who might not want to start with something on their own, but they see what we're doing and they want to springboard off of it with one of the brands. You get people coming in, joining your cause and being an incredibly important part of that momentum. And how many have you had over the years? We have a painted picture approximately every four years. And as we start to get close to one, we'll write the next so that we've got something to keep working towards. And it is amazing, the specificity of these painted pictures. Sometimes things happen in them that I'm like, wow, how's that even possible? So I'll give you a story. I was in Las Vegas, 2012. We were in a tough place in the business, but I had envisioned 
a painted picture that I wanted to share with everyone in the company. I said we would go to Hawaii if we doubled our business by 2016, four years later. I got everybody at this conference to show up with a Hawaiian shirt. We gave them fresh lays, Mai Tais, and everybody sit down and I had them close their eyes. And I started with the first part of the painted picture, which was something to the effect of imagine you're 12 feet from the shore. You can hear clinking of Mai Tais. You can feel the smiling faces and the energy as we're all so proud celebrating the fact that we've hit double our revenue. So there we were after we hit our goal in 2016, March of 2017, we went to Hawaii as an entire company, 700 of us. And there we were 12 feet from the shore. I'm standing on stage rereading that painted picture as everybody's clinking their Mai Tai glasses. And it was just strange. I'm like, who put this stage 12 feet from the shore? How did that happen? How do you see the future so clearly? But again, that is the power of the painted pictures. You're creating the destination in full technicolor so that someone else can get out there and go, if I know where I'm going, I can be a part of the team to figure out how to get us there. That's a crazy story. I, and I remember hearing it before, but I, I think I missed the detail of the of the 12 feet. But yeah, I, we've had huge success with it. And I remember hearing Kendra Scott speak, who was in the EMP program that we were both in and talking about doodling these pictures in her vivid vision or painted picture of, of her global headquarters. And then she was showing us the headquarters as exactly as she had written it. And hey, you got to put something out there. Uh, there's a quote about any direct, if you don't know where you're going, any direction will, will do. Yeah, I think it was an Alice in Wonderland quote. <laughs> if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And you right. know, it, it's funny. So I call it the painted picture. Cameron calls it the vivid vision. You call it the vivid vision. You know, to me, it doesn't matter what someone calls it. It's just what an opportunity for someone to understand the power behind it. You can take any successful leader in this world. It doesn't matter if they're in politics, religion, business, sports. You take someone like Obama. I mean, Obama knew he would be president one day. There was a clear vision not necessarily a path, but you, you can take top athletes, you know, take the, the Toronto Raptors that just won the NBA championships, you know, go Canada. You interview these guys, I guarantee some of those key teammates knew exactly what that picture would look like as an end result. And they worked towards making the, the magic happen, turning it into reality. Absolutely. And you always, you actually hear these stories when these sports teams wins of, of what they were doing each game or each series, or they had a puzzle or like the Bruins had a jacket years ago or the Cavaliers had something else. So it's interesting how they're oftentimes it comes out. There's this story of something that the team had, had decided that was the goal. There's the famous story years ago when, when the Celtics beat the Lakers, when they play the last game of the regular season in Los Angeles Doc Rivers was in the locker room and asked each player for like $1,000 or something in cash, took it, hit it in the ceiling of the visitor's locker room and said, if you guys want your money back, we're not going to play them until the NBA finals. And they played them in the finals that year. That's amazing. So quickly before we wrap up, uh, I know I mentioned earlier you were on Undercover Boss. I love watching that show. For those that haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. What was your... What was your key learning or who was the person that you walked away from that just super inspired and what, what did you do for them? What was interesting to I me, mean, it was a super fun show and I spent a week traveling across Canada, which is the second largest country in the world. So we were, we were getting some air miles that trip. 
and it was super fun. But what I realized very quickly is it's far from reality because you have people who are all on camera and they know they're mic'd up. They know they're on camera. Yeah. They don't know it's for undercover boss. So there's certainly a backstory. Everybody's on their best behavior. And so I didn't really feel like I saw the business in the most honest light, but I did get to connect with some really great people out in the trucks and some great stories. And I remember little things like we had this one woman, Danny, who was in Calgary, who loved to write and working in 1-800-GOT-JUNK was her running the office and leading the team was a step to a point in her life where one day she wanted to write professionally and write a novel. So I said, where would you write your novel if you could go anywhere inspiring? And she said, I'd go to Italy. And so when we brought her to the head office on Undercover Boss, I said, guess what? I'm Brian Scudamore, now not undercover. I'm the CEO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK and you're going to Italy. And she started to cry and she was just so excited. Now, unfortunately, the, the franchise owner of that Calgary operation wasn't completely thrilled to lose a great person, but he was also excited that she was going for an incredible opportunity. And uh, she was leaving for a, a few weeks to go right in Italy. And then we get a, a call from her saying, you know what, this has changed my life. I met the man I'm going to marry and I'm not coming home. And so I think still to this day, she's living in Italy. And uh, it's funny how a little moment, even if it isn't quote unquote reality TV, the reality that she stepped into was pretty magical. That's a great story. And every time you see that franchise owner, he curses you and tells him you, you owe him a person, I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's, it's hard not to feel while you're losing a key employee, seeing them fall in love, live their life's dream in Italy. Hard not to feel like that's a pretty special opportunity. Yeah, that sounds very fairy tale esque So last question, what, what's a mistake you've made either personally or professionally that you've learned the most from in your career? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I don't know if, if there's one that I've made that's been more impactful. It's sort of cumulative. I find that each mistake layers on to the learning. I think one of the hardest times, if I reflect back, was when I had a ex-president from Starbucks come in after Cameron as the person who was really going to take this business to the next level. I hit the jackpot, this person's pedigree. It was going to be phenomenal. They had run 30,000 employees in their tenure uh, underneath them. And I thought, wow, this, my little company is just going to blossom. But I brought the wrong leader in for me. This person's gone on to be very successful in a bigger way in a, in a different company. But after 14 months in my little business, we'd almost bankrupted the business. Revenue dropped $40 million. We had just a, a culture that was starting to fall apart and show uh, cracks in the foundation. And the business completely changed. And it wasn't that this person was a bad person. They were the wrong person for me. So I think the big learning for me is it is about finding the right people and treating them right. But part of finding the right person is the right leader for you. I ended up finding Eric Church, who I created this mini painted picture, if you will, describing the person I was looking for who would be the right leader for me. And I got this mini uh, vision out to people through my networks. And three people unrelated got back to me and said, the person you're looking for, the person you describe is Eric Church. And he's been here seven years. I believe he'll be here forever. It is like a yin and yang. Uh, there's some magic to it. But what I did is I found someone that believed in my quirkiness, my ADD, 
my entrepreneurial passion and ideas, but also being able to kind of rein me in at times. And we've got this relationship where Eric can say, hey, that's a great idea. It really is. But we can't do anything to even talk about that idea for six months. Or with all due respect, here's why that great idea, I think, is too risky for us right now. So we, we have good open conversations, but there's a balance between my visionary leadership and his rigor and discipline and his leadership and the two are absolutely needed together. I think it's the one area that entrepreneurs fail in most often and often fail to the point where their business might not ever succeed is not being able to let go of control of everything you do in the spirit of finding someone better who can do a better job than you can. It's a tough thing for our egos to handle, but when you can make that shift, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Those are good lessons for, I think, a lot of people in a lot of different circumstances. Well, Brian, thank you for sharing your story with us. You set a great example of how courage in the face of adversity and willingness to fail are actually required elements, I think, to being a successful entrepreneur. Awesome. Well, uh, Bob, thanks for having me again. Uh, but you know what? I, your goal was to make this one better than the last time. I can't remember what we talked about last time, but uh, the energy was great and enjoyed being back. We'll say it was better. <laughs> we'll include links to Brian and 1-800-GOT-JUNK as well as to his book on Brian's episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode or the Elevate podcast in general, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review as it helps new users discover the show and our content. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, you can just select the library icon, click on Elevate and scroll down to the bottom to leave your review. And if you're listening in your browser or a different app, you can find easy links to review on other services such as Google Play or Stitcher on our podcast page at robertglazer.com. Thanks again for your support. And until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.